feature presentation. How are you, Sean? Nice to meet you. It's a hell of a collection you got behind you there. Yeah, well, actually, I kind of wanted to start off with that because I just saw you recently uh, in a post for the Criterion Collection. And I think that's a place where every film lover, whether you know they're young or old, want to end up one day and going through it. And in that photo, you're holding both Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull and Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. And I wanted to ask you if those two films had an influence in shaping the narrative or the atmosphere of the Iron Claw, because in the opening sequence, it feels very much like a film noir, but then having seen that photo, it also reminds me a little bit of the opening credits of Raging Bull when we see De Niro in the boxing ring and the way that you frame Holt McElhaney as Fritz von Erich. It has this kind of menacing air to it, but also a kind of tragedy underneath the belly of the surface of that sort of genre. Yeah, you've revealed my secrets. <laughs> um yeah absolutely absolutely i mean uh, you know in that closet there's just endless amounts of good film uh but but i i would say that the 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 i would say the three key influences if i had to boil it down are the deer hunter raging bull and dazed and confused and i want to make something sort of inspired by all of those all at once. Um, and so, yeah, just just looking looking at those that that tightrope of violence and masculinity and vulnerability, um, brotherhood, friendship, loss, family, you know, complicated brothers, uh, all, all of those things are, are are present in in all of those movies in very different ways and different lights. But they all inspired me, which is why I was, yeah, why I was holding those two. They don't yeah, have your unfortunately. But no, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and I know with Michelle Cimino, like you know, uh, Heaven's Gate is is available, and and hopefully maybe one point because Universal still has the rights to Deer Hunter, and they've released it oh, multiple times. And I think Shout Factory actually released deer hunter on 4k not too long ago because they also helped release uh the nest which uh i think is an incredible movie and it's so underrated and i wanted to ask you about the process of making this movie you know three years after the nest because it almost took a decade between martha marcy may marlene and the nest to get um to get to the nest and now with this you only have three years between the iron claw and the nest and i was curious in terms of the process of making this film if you had any sort of pushback from the wwf because we hear so much about you know uh narrative features about you know hulk hogan with netflix and chris hemsworth or you know tom hardy playing vince mcmahon and there kind of seems to be a little bit of like a taboo quality or even you know lexi alexander wanting to do a chris benoit film Hmm. Um, we didn't go through the WWF at all. And I think that probably, you know, we stayed out of it. We, we, we formed our own path. And I think that probably helped, um, in terms of timing, you know, um, between finishing, you know, I made a, a show in England called Southcliffe, which took a couple of years in between, Finishing Southcliffe and making the, the nest was five years, um, so it wasn't it wasn't quite as long as it seemed. Um, but in that time, I also wrote the nest. I wrote started writing the Iron Claw, 
tried to make some other films too that didn't happen. But but so it's like all of this stuff is happening side by side. Like by the, when I went to shoot the nest, I'd already done two drafts of the Iron Claw, you know, and then made the nest, took a year off, and then came back to Iron Claw. So everything is sort of side by side. And I often find that in the writing process where I'll write something, I'll work on it for a year, and then I won't look at it for a year. Um, got a couple of things that I'm exactly in that condition right now that I'm going to come back to once the film's out kind of, you know, so, so it's all staggered. It's never one thing, then the other. And, and you think, and it's so interesting because like they also share a lot of ideas, you know, they share a lot of themes and, and it's interesting to like find those themes that I'm interested in and see how they take form in very different places, whether it's, you know, the, the, the family and the nest or the family and the, in in the iron claw, there couldn't be more different yet. There's something you know, bubbling under the surface in both. It's very similar. Yeah, and and it's it's. I think it's important that you mention that because the familial themes, even in Martha Marcy May Marlene, of a makeshift family or the estrangement between Elizabeth Olsen and Sarah Paulson's characters, and you mentioned Southcliffe, which I think is such an underrated miniseries and also played at TIFF. And there's something about that film that is tragically so relevant even now. Um, and, you know, going to the Iron Claw, you, you mentioned that you take time between drafts and go from one project to another. Do you think that that helps a little bit in terms of moving away from it and seeing it maybe with refreshed eyes in terms of looking at how a project is shaped? Always, always. Also, um, you know, a certain amount of life happens in a year away. And uh, so something like, you know, from from... From the time from from the time I started to outline the Iron Claw to making it, I've had two kids, you know, and it's and even that is so when I'm editing the Iron Claw, I have a different perspective than when I was outlining the Iron Claw because of life that I've lived in between. And so everything feeds in those 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 breaks for for writers for me, I, I find is key to getting some perspective. And also seeing what you're still interested in. Sometimes your interests just change. You know, you get a little older and you're like, oh, I don't really, I'm not interested in that part. This is the part I'm really interested in. And so, yeah, it's, it's fascinating process. Did your perspective on wrestling change throughout writing the script and directing the movie to when, you know, you first started the project? Because even in the press notes, you you talk, you know, very much about being a fan of wrestling and also understanding the communal experience of watching, you know, the sport with two people and one you're rooting for. It's, it's very much like watching a movie where you feed off the audience as much as, you know, the, what you're watching in front of you. Yeah. Um, I would say that my feelings about wrestling, um, didn't really change or, or it wasn't about like learning anything. It was more about just like a, a deepening of understanding. Like I knew conceptually how hard the life of a wrestler was. And um, I only know it more now. I still don't know it, you know, like, and so it's, it's that kind of thing. It's just like everything just sort of got deeper and heavier and just like understanding changes. Um, even standing in a ring, like I'd never stood in a ring before. Even standing in the ring and trying to bounce off the ropes and realizing how painful a single bounce off the ropes can be. Yeah. Uh, is just, even that just like gives insight of like, wow, like what these guys do night after night with no break, no protection. It's uh, no wonder so many wrestlers end up the way they end up.
Well, even just the practice, like, you know, landing on your back and then getting back up. It's incredible the endurance that these incredible athletes have. And um, I have to wrap up with you, but I just quickly wanted to ask you, um, you know, you just mentioned a little bit about that changing of perspective and, and, and sort of, you know, how looking at it from the point of view of a filmmaker what was your feelings of watch or having Kevin um, watch the film and, and what were you feeling when he was sort of seeing the, the final cut of the movie before its release? Um, so Kevin and I uh, um, developed a really strong relationship over the course of, I approached him when we were, I don't know, we were a couple months before we started shooting and just to talk to him, talk him through it. And, and while he he didn't read the script or, or see footage or anything, um, his kids came down to set, you know, there it was very much a communication. And so I would talk him through things that were happening. We would talk about things that were happening. So by the time we got to the actual screening, um, the the day before we did this big family Zoom where they all got together and they Zoomed me because I was like, okay, any questions you guys want to ask, I want to give you some, you know, headlines of things that I've cut and directions that I went in. and. And I was all like nervous for that conversation. And then they were just like, understood anything I said. And they were just like, we know. They just, they got it. They're like, you can't tell, you know, a movie is a movie. It's never going to tell the full story. That's okay. Like your heart's in it. And they sort of knew at that point how my heart was in the right place and and how passionate I was about it. And they've just been so accepting. So when they actually saw the movie, I wasn't nervous. It was more of the conversation before because I, kind of knew how they would respond but but it was an incredible feeling when when they responded the way they did which was that they love the movie they've supported it they're moved by it um and just like really really love it it's it's yeah it's become a really wonderful relationship I know I have to wrap but I just quickly wanted to touch on that because you mentioned the nervousness yeah. was part of that with also amalgamating Chris Vaughn Eric a little bit into sort of Mike and Carrie's narrative yeah, that was that was one of one of the things that was the big, you know, that's sort of the biggest headline. I mean, there were others too. Like David had a daughter that died. You know, Carrie's kids are and 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 wife were not depicted. You know, like those those are those are those are just as big to me in in telling the family. Um, you know, Carrie, Kevin, and Pam had daughters before they had sons. You know, and and that's really meaningful on a family level when I start to know people really well and. So it was all, uh, yeah, it was all really difficult, but but it was always like, you know, you have to make these choices because you have to service the core of the film. You have to find what the core of the film is because it's such a big story and the core of this film is, and the core of the story is Kevin's survival and celebrating the brothers, celebrating the, the family, but also how does Kevin survive and break these trends of masculinity that that really ultimately, you know, his brothers did not survive. Absolutely. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And especially at the end there, I really, really do appreciate it because I think it is something a lot of people are talking about. And to hear you, you know, talk about it so eloquently and very much, you know, uh, tenderly and, and thoughtfully is really opening in terms of that. And and always looking forward to your films, but also as a producer as well. I hope uh, James White gets a Blu-ray release at some point and that James Bond also, uh, you know, or Josh Bond also gets a chance to direct again because I've been waiting for his follow-up, so... Yeah, that'd be great on James White. <laughs>